Get Lit. Good morning, good evening, and everything in between. This is Get Lit, the podcast that puts the lit back in literature. My name is Stephanie Svars. I'm a high school English teacher by day and a library tour guide and podcaster by night. I'm here today to work through some of the more interesting aspects that make literature really lit, um, much to the cringing of all my students in class when I use the word lit unironically, which is totally fine with me. So <laughs> I'm here to tell you the lit stories behind some of the famous and iconic pieces of literature, um, largely that I wind up reading in my classes, but other than that, just books that I'm really passionate about and authors with interesting stories. So I'm here today with my guest, host, sound engineer, expert, friend that I paid $5 and a box of Girl Scout cookies to be here. Uh, John Stricker, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, as Stephanie said, I'm here for the cookies, but as well as that, Stephanie and I were in high school English classes together, and that's the extent of my uh, qualifications to be here today. So thanks for having me, Stephanie. Thanks for being on. So this inaugural episode is actually going to cover uh, the author of my least favorite book, Catcher in the Rye. So we are going to be discussing today J.D. Salinger. Can I just butt in for a second and say Stephanie does not give this book nearly enough credit? I mean, I think I do. I think I've read it several times, and Mm -hmm. I've tried to give it a chance, and I have come to a conclusive and highly educated opinion that it sucks. Oh, I see. So that's the chance you've given it. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Great. So... Um, Jerome David Salinger is born January 1st of 19, in 1919 in New York. He's a nice Jewish boy. He is raised um, the youngest of two children, born to Saul and Miriam Salinger. I hope the rest of the podcast is in this voice, please. That's rude. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, he's born to these two parents, um, but actually almost immediately... And kind of an interesting turn in his life um, with deceptions and phonies, which, again, is a large theme of Catcher in the Rye. Um, he realizes or is told at the age of 13, right after his bar mitzvah, that his mom is not Jewish. So he grows living, you know, his whole life thinking that his parents are Jewish, Jewish household and whatever. And then his mom's like, by the way, just kidding, not Jewish. <laughs> um and so, you know, like interfaith marriages, I think, particularly in the Jewish community, aren't aren't particularly accepted at all. And at this time. At this time, especially. And so I get it. It kind of makes sense. But it's just sort of one of those random things where, like, I wonder what that dinner table conversation like. It's like, oh, it's good to see you home from school, J.D. Pass the peas. Pass the peas. I'm not Jewish. I'm not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So... He's he's raised in this family in New York. He um, goes to McBurney School, but winds up flunking out. So he gets sent to Valley Forge Military Academy, which is located in Pennsylvania. Um, does a little bit better there, or at least well enough to graduate. So after he graduates from high school, he kind of enters this very um, bohemian, wandery sort of period of his life where he bounces around from place to place, from university from university, from girlfriend to girlfriend to wife, etc. Wow. Um, so we'll start at the beginning of that. Uh, he graduates from Valley Forge. He winds up at New York University, uh, then goes to Europe for a little bit, but then comes back and tries another college in Pennsylvania 
doesn't finish there either, and then finally winds up at Columbia University. And I think the most interesting thing for me about all of that is the fact that he could get into both NYU and Columbia. (laughs) Yeah, just casually. It's fine. Oh, and I'll just go to Europe in between, no problem. It's great. My parents are going to bribe lots of people, and I'll get in. Is this the next breaking scandal? Well, they're removing his degree too. A long time ago. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So he takes night classes at Columbia University and he meets this uh, professor named Whit Burnett. And this, other than being a completely probably fake name, because that's what it sounds like to me, um, (laughs) winds up really launching his writing career. So this professor gets a hold of some of his writing. They're working on it. He encourages Salinger to submit it for publication and it winds up getting published in a variety of, of posts and newspapers and magazines and that sort of thing. Um, so people know his name, and that's great. Um, while he's kind of working in and out of jobs and college and that sort of thing, uh, he winds up in L.A. and then winds up as a cruise director um, directing entertainment for well, a while. Yes, of course. <laughs> but it's the you graduate... And then you go travel, and then you go on a cruise ship. Right, it's the cruise director phase that we all went through. Yes, I did that, and that's how I found out that I get seasick. Oh, very good. (laughs) (laughs) That was the entertainment. Gotcha. So it was myself. So um, he winds up being, uh, this is around the 1940s, so he winds up being the entertainment director for the Swedish America Line's M.S. Kungsholm, Mm. and... uh, isn't there for particularly long, but long enough for it to influence some of his work. So some of the short stories, I think there's at least three of his short stories that either take place on a cruise ship or were heavily influenced by that location. And uh, that's kind of, again, where he starts really writing his stuff. So while he's traveling around, he winds up in L.A. for the time and meets, this is my favorite kind of fact story about him, meets a woman named Una O'Neill. And Una O'Neill is exciting to me because she is the daughter of none other than famous playwright Eugene O'Neill, who's very famous for having transformed the face of American theater. He writes a long day's Day's journey journey into into night, night. which is just a beautiful piece of work Mm. Um, and several other short plays and that sort of thing. So um, Una O'Neill is 16 at the time. J.D. Salinger is 22. They meet. They have this really sort of fast, fantastic, at least in my imagination, romantic affair. Um, But all good things must come to an end. And sometimes your end is World War II. Yikes. Uh, So J.D. Salinger gets uh, drafted and he actually serves... um, in the military from 1942 to 1944. Uh, but during this time, you know, he and Una are having this wild romance and they write letters back and forth to each other until one day they just stop. They? It's never they. The letters. I understand. It wasn't mutual. Who was it? Her. It was her? So she stopped she, she stopped writing back. So he's over in Europe fighting in the war and she stops writing back. And... Um, Eventually, Salinger finds out, actually through reading the newspaper, that Una has married Charlie Chaplin, like the actor, Charlie Chaplin. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, she marries Charlie Chaplin, and I think at the time, he's 36 years older than she is. So she's like 17, and he's... Her dad. Not. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> really old. So, um, Charlie Chaplin has already been married at this point three other times, so she becomes his fourth wife. Two of his other wives were uh, 16 years old when he married them as well. That's so a type. It, it's a type. And, um, well, apparently fourth time's a charm because they were married for 34 years and had eight children. So things wind up okay for Una O'Neill, other than the fact that her father disowns her over this marriage to Charlie, but that's okay. Kind of. Yeah, I guess. But I, like, get his father's, her father's perspective a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't want your like sixteen year old marrying a guy who's your age or older. No, of course. But then, like after it's gone on for say twenty years, perhaps it's time to make amends. I think Eugene O'Neill was dead at that point. I retract my <laughs> statements. <laughs> so, anywho, Salinger is over in Europe, finds out about his love, his heartbreak, and it's really sad. Um, but J.D. Salinger did some really important things in the army while he was serving. Um, he lands at Utah Beach in France during the Normandy invasion and actually fights in the Battle of the Bulge. In an interesting sort of twist, the draft or the first six chapters of Catcher in the Rye were uh, supposedly in his pocket when he landed on the beach and fought. So in in kind of more ways than just metaphoric, this book really fought its way out uh, into publication because it was literally a part of the war. Oh. So he continues to write throughout the war. Um, towards the end of his service, he's actually one of the first people to liberate the camps or go into the camps after they'd been liberated. Um, and he interviews prisoners of war. That's his job. And after this point, kind of understandably, suffers a nervous breakdown and winds up in a hospital. Uh, but in a positive twist, he meets a woman named Sylvia and they get married and Unfortunately, already, again, uh, their relationship only lasts eight months, and then they get divorced, and he comes back to the United States. But it's fine. Whirlwind. It's fine, because shortly after that, he gets married again in 1955 uh, to Claire Douglas. Rebound. Well, uh, they're married for a pretty long time. Okay. So I think that's fine. It works. And they have two kids together, so maybe a little bit more than that. So uh, he returns to New York, he gets married, he has some kids, uh, and starts to write again. He, he's going to make his career as a writer, and that's great. In 1951, Catcher in the Rye is officially published, um, which may be the best day of Salander's life, and simultaneously the worst day, because he hates the fame that he gets after having published this book. So it skyrockets. It becomes super, super famous. People are loving it. It's getting really positive responses for the most part. Um, Holden Caulfield kind of entrenches his way into our culture and becomes the anti-hero of the postmodernist movement. So people at this time, through their art, are trying to figure out how the world works after both of the world wars are over and what's happening to society. And Holden Caulfield kind of, I think, represents for a lot of people what that experience was like. So he publishes this book. It gets super famous. And J.D. Salinger hates it. So two years after the book. Hates the fame, not the book. Well, I I would hate the book if I wrote it. Yes, I understand. (laughs) I think you're in the minority. Okay. Mm, Okay. So he hates the fame. He hates the fame. Got it. So he winds up purchasing a 90-acre 
patch of land out uh, in New Hampshire, in Cornish, New Hampshire. And that's actually where he lives the rest of his life as a recluse. He like hermits himself away, Mm. becomes a recluse and just straight up lives alone, like in the woods as much as he possibly can. He tries to cut off civilization, everything that he can do because he really hates being famous. Yikes. Yep. So uh, he still writes. His literary contributions really slow down, um, but he still continues to write throughout the rest of his life. Um, He publishes a couple different short story collections through the 1960s, um, but then 1965 marks the last sort of publication during his life, really major publication. The New Yorker dedicates almost an entire issue to this new short story that he's written, uh, Hapworth 16, 1924 mm-hmm. is the name of that. And it's a 25,000 word short story um, and is the last thing that winds up getting published during his life. Unfortunately, the year after that happens, his wife, Claire Douglas, sues for divorce, and so that marriage falls apart. Okay, but wouldn't you, (laughs) if you were on a 90-acre farm as a recluse only seeing your husband, I I think I would. I think I'd get a dog. Yeah, that doesn't fix everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Pretty close. You just need the right dog. So um, that relationship kind of falls apart. Uh, But then, good news, a couple years later, Salinger begins a relationship. Oh, good. um, Meets her in a kind of interesting way. He's just casually reading the New York Times magazine, comes across this piece called An 18-Year-Old Looks Back on Life. Uh Uh-oh. What a brilliant title that is. (laughs) Just riveting work. Well, she got published, and I still haven't. So (laughs) Um, that title, I think, is really telling because the writer, Joyce Maynard, is indeed an 18-year-old reflecting on her life, which now is going to include J.D. Salinger. Yikes. So he, at this point, is 53... Right? Can you check? Was he born in 1919? Yes. Born in 1919. 71 minus 20, 51 plus 152. All right. Close enough. He's 53 minus one years old. And I teach English. You can have your engineering degree and good for you. So he is 53 years old and meets this 18 year old named Joyce, and they have this really interesting sort of 10-month relationship um, in Cornish. Uh, Eventually, um, Maynard would go on to write his biography and would publish a memoir herself of their relationship in the late 90s. So uh, that kind of has an interesting twist for both of them, I think, in their writing. Um, After this relationship, kind of a year later, Maynard auctions off a bunch of letters that Salinger wrote her. That's not cool. No, but she gets $156,500. So maybe it's fine. (laughs) Well, now let's see how much per letter. I might do that, though. It's fine. So she gets a lot of money, but the buyer actually of those letters returns the letters to Salinger. So it's kind of a win-win. Maybe they like set it up together. Like, ooh, auction off my letters. You take the money and then, you know, maybe Salinger bought them. I think so. That's like, ooh, I like that. I think so. He has a shadow buyer. Conspiracy. Conspiracy. (laughs) Conspiracy. It started here. Get lit. Get lit. Um, Copyright that immediately. (laughs) 
<laughs> Is that how that works? Okay, so um, that gets returned. This sort of interesting relationship ends. Um, but that's okay because there's another one right around the corner. Oh, good. And Colleen O'Neill, not to be confused with Una O'Neill, <laughs> who destroyed his life years before. Um, but he marries this young nurse named Colleen O'Neill. Um, did he just get confused or did he fell in love with her too? I don't know. He would have been even older at that point. Yeah, so right. confusion could have been possible. <laughs> okay. And O'Neill's and O'Neill. That's fine. Um, so he doesn't publish much work over the last four decades of his life, but he does continue to write. And some of those works have been published subsequently um, mm. since his death on January 27, 2010. That's pretty old. That's pretty old. Um, so that's kind of a brief introduction there to J.D. Salinger and his life. Um, he has had 65 million copies of Catcher in the Rye published. So despite the fact that I hate it, (laughs) clearly people um, enjoy reading it and maybe connect to it. It's not good. It's good. He's, Holden is horrid. You're just a phony. You don't get it. I'm fine. That's fine. (laughs) You know what? Fine. That's fine. So um, I hope this introduction kind of helps you see the more lit, side of J.D. Salinger and Catcher in the Rye. Um, I think it's really interesting to explore the lives outside of the the works that we read because it shows these people as people instead of these authors that we hold on these really high platforms in interesting ways. Um, authors kind of, are people yeah, too. They bring it down to our level, right? ordinary levels. Um, but actually currently having researched a lot of different writers' lives, I'm kind of happy with mine, yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> particularly this one. So um, feel free to check us out on Twitter. We are getlit underscore podcast, and that uh, to date is the only social media that I've figured out how to coordinate with this yet. Nice. So uh, check back for another episode next week where we explore the lit side of literature. And thank you, as always, for the first time for keeping it lit.